Episode 484. How can you make Thursday your new Friday? With Joe Sanok. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of the number one men's development podcast that is now a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. And it is my mission to share you the real stories, the useful stuff, the juicy stuff, and the reality of what it takes so to thrive. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my bag. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can get this completely free 45 minute training masterclass on how to land your TEDx talk in 90 days or less without wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. That training is brand new for 2021. You can jump over there, talkaccelerator.com forward slash masterclass. That's talkxcelerator.com. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. All links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes at ayalpha.com. Get to the podcast. Okay, enjoy the show. We have psychologist, author, and podcast host, Joe Sanek on the line. He's got his book, Thursday is the New Friday. He's done a TEDx talk. More importantly, he's a good friend of mine. He's over in Traverse City. I'm in a rare group. I've slept in his house. He's yet to return the favor. So I feel that's going to <laughs> Joe, thank you for joining me today. Oh, Adam, I am so excited to hang out with you. Like, I don't care where or when we hang out. It's always fun. Joe's book is actually out in, well, tell us exactly when it's out. Yeah, October 5th. Uh, Thursday is the new Friday. comes out on October 5th. And worldwide, wherever you buy your books, it can be your local bookstore, have them order it, or Amazon, wherever. Uh, we have audiobooks, digital books. Uh, HarperCollins has done a great job just getting a lot of media around it. Yeah, featuring the Harvard Business Review. It's on track to be a really big book release. I won't say too much more. You are getting interviewed by the founder of Kickstarter. Is that coming up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Pat Flynn interviewed me for Smart Passive Income. He called this the new four-hour work week, the book everyone should read this year, which I mean, as endorsements go, Pat Flynn is someone I've followed forever. And to have him say that about the book just is so exciting. Yes. And I, I physically, it's not out yet, but I've, I've, because I've been to your house, I've been in that room. <laughs> I, I've sneaked some of your test copies. I've had one in my hand. I've had a look for it. And I've got the digital copy as well. So we're going to be diving into some of the concepts as well. Um, you've been on the podcast before. I'll be linking the original episode. And so people can go and listen to that now as well and conjecture this. So it means we can jump straight into the concepts of Thursday is the new Friday. But again, Joe, I know you are. But are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Oh, absolutely. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's just start with that then. Thursday is the new Friday. What's it all about? Yeah. So when I kind of looked at who I am as a consultant. <clears throat> Part of writing a book is figuring out what are you regurgitating of other people's stuff and what is actually unique to you. Uh, and so I was working with a writing coach to really dive into what do I teach all the time? And sometimes in our careers, there's a trajectory that you're kind of headed away from maybe where you started. And other times it's a returning home. And for me, it was really a returning home when I realized that my freshman orientation at college, I remember the moment that I sat down and the academic advisor said, all right, let's schedule your classes. And I raised my hand and I said, well, do we have to have classes on Friday? And she said, no, this is college. You can do whatever you want. And so throughout all of my undergraduate and grad school, I never had a Friday class except for one semester when a mandatory class was only offered Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 
And then my first job out of grad school as a psychologist, I negotiated a four day work week. And so I just thought it was normal to have three day weekends and to advocate for that and to push back against how society teaches us that we have to work. But then, you know, I got regular jobs and 40 hour work week and started a private practice and podcast. And next thing you know, I'm working 50 plus hours. And so fast forward to when it was time for me to leave my full-time job and I had decided I'm going to go do this entrepreneurial thing, um, just full tilt. And so 2015, I leave. And that first summer, uh, as I'm leaving the community college, I'm fully in charge of my schedule for the first time, you know, since basically grad school. And I decide I'm going to do an experiment where I'm going to take Fridays off and just see for the summer what happens. And that's a big concept of the, of the book is that, you know, instead of having this prescriptive model that the industrialists, you know, they say we're like robots, you just plug us in and you make it happen. Um, the, the changing way that books are being written is to see it more as a menu to say, you're a smart individual. Let's learn to apply and experiment and then adjust as we go. And so I did one of those experiments in the summer of 2015, where I took Fridays off. Every you know, month, I'd look at my numbers, and every month was better than the month before. So I got to the fall, and I looked back on that summer and said, that was the best summer I've had financially in my entire life. So I kept doing the four-day work week. And I continued to do these tests. Um, but it wasn't just something that I applied to myself. It was something that I started applying to my consulting clients, my mastermind groups, my um, membership communities. And so when we really look at what is Thursday is the new Friday, it's all about saying, how do we limit the amount of time that we give ourselves to do our work so that we're doing the very best possible work that we can do? Because uh, oftentimes, if we give ourselves 40 hours, uh, we know from Parkinson's law, we're going to fill those 40 hours, but it's oh, yeah. not necessarily going to be with the things that are the best use of our time. Yeah. And exactly what you're talking about there is that kind of clock watching and look at the time and just kind of like twiddling their thumbs and feeling like, right, I've got to be sitting at the desk. And it's, ah. Like you're not actually doing a lot then. It's just, it's just, it's like a sentence and it's, and it's, you're so conditioned to do it. And much like you, I've always been questioning it and thinking, and you always think, okay, this doesn't seem right. Work five days, two days, like for, for life, basically. Like if you, when you obviously, and then when you multiply that throughout your life, it's concerning. Like even like just, just the simple thing of going three days and then four days, that seems a lot more balanced, but it is, you are going against, you know, fighting against the, the culture and social norms and <laughs> maybe seen as a bit, a bit of a weirdo. So, well, and that's the, that's the thing. We think back, these yeah. things are so normal um, and they aren't. Um, mm. So when I started writing the book, I, I wanted to dig into where does the 40 hour work week come from? Where does the seven day week come from? Where does time itself, how did we invent that um, to just understand it? And what I discovered was actually pretty shocking to me. And so if we go back 4,000 years or so to the Babylonians, um, they made up the seven day week. Uh, they looked up and they saw the sun, the moon, they saw the earth below them, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And they said, okay, seven major celestial things that we can see pretty brightly. Let's, let's have a seven day week. Uh, the Romans had a 10 day week. The Egyptians had an eight day week. Um, so the seven day week didn't even really become the norm across the globe uh, until around the year 300 when the Roman emperor became a Christian. Uh, and because of that, he saw the seven day week in Genesis, which was written down in Babylon. And so we see that even time itself and what we view time as we made up, we could just as easily have a five-day week and have 73 of those in a year. Yeah. Um, so, so just starting with these things that we think are so solid, the seven-day week, power brokers from 4,000 years ago made it up. So then fast forward to the late 1800s, early 1900s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. 
it was a farmer's schedule, but not being on a farm. Mm. And so it was a terrible schedule for humans. Then in 1926, Henry Ford, he, in an effort to sell more cars to his employees, switched over to the 40-hour work week. And his belief was, and it was correct, that people were not going to buy a car to get to work faster. But they would if they had a weekend where they said, oh my gosh, I've only got two days. Like I got to fit in as much as I can. Forget this horse and buggy. I need a car. Yeah. So they're, zoom, they're zooming around to see friends and family and go you know, to parks and recreate and all those things. And he sold a ton of cars and it changed the way that people work. Um, and so we have, again, this power broker less than 100 years ago that says we're going to have a 40 hour work week. And so these things that we often think are just so solid that, you know, the 40 hour work week, that's unchangeable. I'm the weirdo by saying, what the heck are we doing here? Throughout time, the things that right now we think, well, that's just how it is. Like we're creating right now the what is going to be in the future. The, this is just how it is. And so when we start to think about that as the post-pandemic generation, it's so exciting to say we have a unique opportunity for a little bit of time here where globally people are saying, why did we ever work that way? That's crazy how we used to work. We now have this small window of time to start to challenge that and say, we don't want to go back to the old way. We want to create a new normal for ourselves that is actually better for humanity. Yeah, that we, you're totally right. It's this, this whole pandemic has shook things up, things that have been forced, changes that have been forced. And then people are like, well, we're not going to go back because they've actually seen certain things of benefits. You can do things different ways. It doesn't have to be done all the traditional way. I mean, what do you mean? I say, I mean, look at your book is brilliant, but like near the start, like working less is dangerous. What mm. do you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, you look at in 1886. So, you know, it was 40 years before Henry Ford instituted the 40 hour work week. Uh, so in Haymarket Square, Chicago, uh, Chicago had burned down the great fire of Chicago. Um, they had done all this advertising to get people from Europe to move over to Chicago to help rebuild. So they're rebuilding. And these people who thought they were moving for a better life actually had a worse life in Chicago. So these protests in this Haymarket Square start happening where all sorts of different types of people are protesting, saying they want better work hours. The people are rising up. There ends up being a bombing. From that bombing, they actually have a national like shutdown where the, across the nation, they just locked down because they thought that this was going to take off, that people were going to be fighting back and wanting to work fewer hours. So when we stand up to the way that things are, it's dangerous. There's people that have vested interests in, you know, in the 1800s that wanted a 10 to 14 hour day. They wanted poor working conditions. They wanted their people worked to the bone. Um, that was something that those folks wanted. Uh, so when Henry Ford in 1926 to the day of the Haymarket bombing. So May Day, which you know, most of us don't even know what that is, is based on that workers' rights and that standing up against um, kind of oppressive work tactics uh, from the 1800s. So on that exact day, 40 years later, that's when Henry Ford decides to institute this 40-hour work week. And so at that time, there were people that didn't want that 40-hour work week. That was dangerous at the time. And so when we start to challenge the way that our bosses think, the way that other businesses think, that can be dangerous. Um, so you look at right now, people are saying the great resignation. Why are all these people you know, leaving these jobs? Like, of course, people need a job. Like, why are they quitting? Well, because so many of those old bosses, and I don't mean old in age, just like mm -hmm. your old previous boss, Think like the industrialists. The industrialists thought that people were machines. You plugged them in. You gave them their flow chart. Uh, you had a very yeah. clear job role for them. You can either take it or leave it. Here's your job. 
That's not how modern businesses now work. Um, instead, they have this evolutionary model uh, where they evolve and change and grow over time. And um, it's what we've been using for years in practice to practice. Um, but that pushback is dangerous in so many different ways because you're challenging the way things have been. And if yeah. we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's that a lot of people don't want to change. A lot of people oh. don't want their freedom taken away. They don't want this taken away. They don't want someone telling them what to do. Um, but yet we know what's what's happening right now is not working for how humans need to live. Yeah. I think sometimes as well, when people, when there's jobs involved and finances and people feel like this is the way it's, it's always been, it's got to be like this. It's, I think sometimes people undervalue their freedom from this and just finances is always the, the key thing. And it's, it's interesting. I, I was approached in the last year and obviously the pandemic makes you think, you know, I've always got an open mind, a really good role that was previously in the coaching field, like a top company previously, not an option because it was California based, but now because of the pandemic, it opened up to remote workers. And so I was approached. I thought, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll inquire, you know, you never say never. So on paper, you know, look great. Finances were great, especially, I'm in, you know, Northern Michigan, California <laughs> money goes a long way in Northern Michigan. And on sure top does. of that, yeah, so on top of that, so it's, and everyone from outside of the situation for wow this is awesome and what an opportunity and through as i got further along these conversations and it was getting to like wow this is this is you know a serious option to consider everyone was telling me inside of the company and outside of it wow the the holiday you get oh it's good holiday that is what they were saying that was the norm that was the uh, the, the the what i'd been told and i was looking at it every time and instantly i was thinking no, it's not, not in the slightest. Like, and it, and it was so fixed. And America's slightly um, worse at this than maybe Europe and the UK. And so that's where I'm coming from. That's my norm, which again, I didn't accept because I didn't think that was that good. But this is, I think it was three weeks holiday was the kind of the start. And that's good. And, and so straight away, after, just a little question. I, I like to go when it's normal. I like to go to the UK to visit family for a month. How's that going to work? This is the response. And this is when I was like, whoa, it's backing away. Oh, because you're remote. You, so long as you can get Wi-Fi, you can take your laptop. You can work from there as a positive. And I was <laughs> like, so, I'm, so, from this so room, the I'm, only vacation I get a year, I get to like go work during. I couldn't imagine anything worse. So I'm, it's like dangling the, like, like the candy in front of a little kid. So I'm going to go to see my family in England for one month. And then I'm going to turn up and say, hey, I'm just going to go upstairs and spend the day on the laptop. I'm living the dream. And, but there was no <laughs> flexibility. And even to the level of, okay, what about unpaid time off? And the lack of flexibility was, I just didn't understand it. I'm like, you know, you're not going to... I'm not going to be pay, paying me. I'm just going to have this time off so I can see family or if they come across, I just, is there any, you know, any flexibility there? And to cut a long story short, no, this is how we yeah. do it. And, and I was like, Hey, awesome company. You know, nice speaking to you. I'm out. <laughs> so yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. Well, and that's such a industrialist way of thinking that they, they think that by having that lack of flexibility, they're creating a stronger culture. But actually what they're doing is they're turning away amazing talent. And so I'm sure that if they said, hey, you know, we want to pay you this, it's less amount, but you can get a profit sharing or some sort of incentivized way that's not based on just time in the chair. Oh, yeah. And they're like, you know, we'll give you six weeks off a year. We'll give you eight weeks off, whatever you want. Uh, as long as you meet these key performance indicators, 
Hey, if you hit those, you get paid this much. If you exceed those, you get paid this much. Like there's so many ways that companies are changing and evolving in how they do things. Um, and that exact flexibility or lack thereof it yeah. is what's taking these companies down. hundred um, oh, percent. And it was it's it, exactly what you said. If, if it was just, it was just crazy to me because exactly what you said there, you know, if, if they'd have had that flexibility and the majority of people would not have used it because of the, you know, the condition and stuff. And obviously if you work more with them, you get, you get more. So it takes a certain sort of a mindset, but also just not just having that flexibility there. That's a completely different mindset. So if you know, if my family turned up all of a sudden or something happened, there's no, you know, you got, Hey, I'm going to have to take this, this month off, you know, give a little preparation, but that flexibility, whether you use it or not, it's, it, it needs to be there. And, and I, I know this is huge. Your lifestyle is really important. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact. Get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker. And you can jump over Talk X C E L E R A T O R dot com forward slash masterclass. Really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. Part of it is based on the myth that if you work fewer hours, you're going to make less money. Uh, and what's so interesting is that the research over and over is showing us that that's just not true. Like the idea that a five day week, if we take out one day, we're going to have a 20% drop in profits. Like that's just not true. Um, and so it's interesting to see these companies that are starting to do four day weeks and not do 40 hours doing mm. 32 hour weeks or fewer, finding that their productivity is as good or better. Uh, what a motivator as well. Hey, right. you guys can smash it in four days. You have the fifth day off. It's like, um, then people are going to be on yeah. fire in comparison to just dragging it out. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be in hour-long meetings that are useless. You're going to get in there, have your 18-minute meeting. Everybody talk efficiently. Move on. Let's get back to work. Um, and if we want to hang out, let's go out for beers afterwards, um, not sit around the water cooler all day uh, on, the, on the boss's dime. So, so it's really interesting to see how when you actually slow down first, and this is one of the keys of this book, because so often there's productivity books that give you the five steps. It's that prescription model we talked about before. And it's like, you do this or you're out. It's very industrialist. Or on the other side, we've got these woo-woo books that say, make a vision board, <laughs> manifest it to the universe, and then wonder why your trip to Hawaii didn't just magically show up. And so what this book does is it brings together the things that are true in both of those situations. Both of those models are not good and for a number of reasons, but if we bring them together and say, what are they each pointing to that's true? Well, when we slow down, when we're not maxed out and stressed out, we do our best and most creative work. So when do we have our amazing ideas for a new podcast or a new membership community or whatever we're working on? It's usually when we're, you know, taking a shower or working in a garden, going for a hike. Um, it's when our brains actually slow down. And so by having a three-day weekend or however we structure it, it doesn't have to be exactly Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. It can be the Wednesdays you take off. Uh, but it, when you work fewer hours, it allows the brain to actually rest and then be optimized for the work that you're going to do. So then you walk in and you're more focused. And especially if you know your sprint type, the way that um, you naturally are wired for sprinting, um, if, and then you enact that, you just get so much more done in a shorter period of time. Oh, totally. I mean, it's just come back for me, it comes back to the, the athlete mentality of, you know, you cannot, you, if you want to have the best performance, you cannot be on all the time. Recovery is as important, if not more important. It's the same thing with the work. You just, if you spend all the time doing it, you just slowly come down mentally and physically and it just, the output is just... Oh.
please do go to the podcast, Awakening Ralph, subscribe, check it all out. And we'll be, obviously, Joe's, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, oh, if you want to get a copy of the book, Joe, just want to give a shout out to that and any bonuses you've got, because I know you've got bonuses up your sleeve. Yeah, yeah. So the book is Thursday is the new Friday. You can order it wherever you get your books. It could be your local bookstore pre-ordering. It could be on Amazon. Um, but if you get 10 of the books, you get access to the Thursday is the new Friday mastermind group. So that starts the first Thursday in, in November, and there's going to be six sessions. We're skipping Thanksgiving, so it's going to go till mid-December. Um, and it's amazing to see the top-level podcasters. I've had so many people that are interviewing me say, oh my gosh, right after this podcast, I'm going to go buy my 10 books, give it to my audience, because I just want to be around those other top podcasters. So if you want to be around other high influential people that are enacting Thursday is the new Friday, um, buy 10 books. And then you just go over to Thursday is the new Friday.com. You'll just submit your receipt right there. To me, so often I get in these mastermind groups or there's these incentives and it's just the person regurgitating their book. I'm like, I already read your book. Um, this to <laughs> me is the next steps of like, how are we actually enacting this, having some hot seats, but then also helping you connect with other influential people that are going to help you grow in your career. Done. Love it. Sold. I'm in 10 books. Add another 10 books to your list. So I want to just talk about developing inclinations, habits, and actions. Yeah. So there's three internal inclinations that top leaders and successful entrepreneurs have. And so the research shows that those are first curiosity. The second is an outsider perspective. And the third is an ability to move on it. And so let's just think about curiosity for a minute. Uh, you know, we hear this thing, curiosity killed the cat. Like how terrible of a thing is it that, that if you're curious, you're going to die. And so I was like, where did this even come from? And actually in 1910, the Washington Post, the main headline was curiosity killed the cat. And so that week there is this cat that he got stuck in a chimney. It made national news. So very slow news week. Um, and they finally found this dead cat in the chimney. Very sad. But if we think about curiosity being associated with death, that's not something I want my kids to believe. Uh, I want them to ask, like, what, what happened? Why did that happen? What happens if we do this? Kids know this, but at some point we seem to lose it. But top leaders actually retain that curiosity. And in the book, um, we actually have an assessment in each of the chapters for internal inclinations where you can find if that actually is a baseline for you or your baseline, you're a very curious person. And is that a habit? Do you have actions to support it? Or is it an area that you need to grow? So it's not pass fail, like, oh, you don't have it. You know, don't be in the business yeah. world. It's more, we just need to know where you're at to start with. The second one uh, is an outsider perspective. Um, when you look at top performers like Elon Musk, Albert Einstein, all these other people, uh, a lot of times they have an outsider perspective where they've moved cultures. Even for you, you know, going from the UK to the States, you have a lens that's a superpower that's different than maybe what I have being raised in Northern Michigan. And, and so that outsider perspective is, is actually a perspective that can be fostered and grown. Um, but the research shows that people statistically actually have more influence as an outsider than they should. And so there's been study after study that just shows that outsiders have undue influence over groups uh, than they should. And so we want to use that to our advantage to, to propel the good ideas that we have. And then the third internal inclination is the ability to move on it. And so, so often, uh, if we think about a project, there, there's a spectrum. On one side, we have speed. And on the other side, we have accuracy. And, and you know, there are times in life that we want things to be accurate. So if I go to the hospital and I'm going to have surgery and my doctor, she puts me under, she can take as long as she needs to be accurate with that surgery. But most of what we do in life and in business 
is more on the speed side. Uh, that if we can get things done faster and get that data back as to what's working and what's not working and changing, we outpace our competition, we get things done, and then we get that feedback to be able to adjust to something better. It's when people are paralyzed by perfection that they really are too slow. Uh, yeah. And that's the entire like, undergrad and grad school model of education teaches us this. You know, we, we, we do a paper, we go to the writing center, uh, we go back, we revise it, we make it perfect, and then we turn it into a professor and they give us a grade. That's terrible. Like that, that's not how the world works. In the world, if I write a blog post and I misquote someone or I do a bad link or something, I can go in and change it and say, sorry, audience, like I, I thought it was this, I did my best and then realized this just isn't accurate. Um, and so that's how the world works. And people that are able to effectively just let go of that being paralyzed by perfection are the ones that get a lot more done. If someone's listening to this and they're liking all that we're saying, or especially you, what you're saying, and <laughs> they are, they're, 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 they're other extreme to a four-hour work week or less they're just they just feel like they have no time it's hectic what are your thoughts on how to start slowing down like have you got any yeah. advice on that yeah i think a lot of people hear the four-day work week and they think there's no way i'm going to do that yeah and so there's the two types of people far. that it kind of falls into there's the kind of entrepreneur types like you and i and there's the people that work in a traditional job so both situations have very different problems they need to address. People like you and I that are entrepreneurs and mostly run our own businesses, we have ideas aplenty. And so it's, it's more learning to rein that in and create self boundaries um, for ourselves so that when I'm hanging out with my kids, I'm not thinking about a blog post the whole time. I'm not oh, thinking about yeah, a podcast. Such a, not... su such a you know, pitfall, big time. Right. It's so important right. to try and turn off. Or so even learning <laughs> how, like even learning how, when I have a great idea, how do I quickly capture that, but then move back into the family life or friend life. So it may be that I have a note on my phone that if there's this idea that just keeps coming up, like I got to write it down to just let my brain kind of dissipate from that idea. And so finding good tactics on that side. Um, but then if you work at a traditional uh, 40 hour job, um, it's more kind of advocating for yourself to do some experiments with a small group of people. Uh, and we can dig into the exact framework, but in the book and also um, actually the link for the Harvard Business Review article, uh, I walk through exactly how to ask for the four-day work week um, to your boss. And so I think that would be an effective thing. No, I put that in like, the show notes. Yeah. So, so that'll save us a little time here. Um, but I would say for all, all people that are listening that say, I want to do something. What's a small step that I can take? I would encourage them to look at their next weekend, add one thing and subtract one thing. And so what do I mean by that? Look at your weekend and most people just let the activities and schedule rule their weekend. They don't intentionally think through what is gonna give me the most life this weekend. So by adding one thing, it could be, you know what, if I just have two hours to read this book I've wanted to read, I'm gonna feel so excited. Or if I can just go for a hike by myself for a little bit or a hike with my friends or be in nature or paddleboarding, What's one thing that you know that little bit of time, that two hours, that three hours is just going to light you up. You're going to feel like your whole weekend was a success. Uh, so adding one thing and then subtracting one thing. So for example, maybe you have plans with someone to have coffee on Saturday morning. And every time you leave that coffee date with that person, you feel like trash. Like they're a toxic <laughs> friend. I give you permission to cancel that. You don't there. need to have those. I, I know we hang out less and less every day. <laughs> Joe, I'm not coming on Saturday. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I got to cancel with that toxic friend. <laughs> but, but, you know, to give yourself permission to say, I'm not going to feel like trash because of that person's own issues. Or maybe it's mowing your lawn. You may all week be like, dang it. I don't want to spend my weekend mowing my lawn. 
I'm sure the neighbor kid would love to mow your lawn. So add that in one weekend. Joe, just to let or, you know, when we left visiting you, we were all bouncing. We were buzzing. We loved it. There you go. It lit us up. Yes, so there's an exactly. You, that's the thing to add in, hanging out with Joe. <laughs> and so there might be things that you want to remove also, like the idea of saying, I have to go grocery shopping and I'm going to spend half of my Saturday fighting people at the grocery store and driving there, planning, unloading. I mean, maybe you have shipped or Instacart where you pay the 20 extra bucks or so and say this weekend, I'm going to try that. And so as you do these experiments, you're going to find, okay, having groceries delivered to me really makes me feel good. But having the lawn mowed, no, I didn't really care that much. So when you add one thing and remove one thing, you're learning for you what really symbolizes a good weekend. Yeah, and it's important, like you said, for you, because like you say, for some people mowing the lawn, they're like, oh, and it's just like, yeah, get that. That is worth getting somebody to. And for other people, like they actually might like mowing the lawn. And that yeah. is weird, but everyone's different. Like I, at this stage, I'm sure it doesn't always, but I'm liking mowing the lawn. I think it's just the switching off, the like up and down nature, just zoning out. And a, yeah, it's like a good mindfulness yeah, activity. Yeah, getting the steps. It's like, you know, raking the gravel or something like that. It's just out there, fresh air, a little bit of movement, and the weather's nice at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, right. it is what it is. But, you know, just because, you know, culture might say, oh, you know, you shouldn't like that or whatever. Just, I think yeah. it's important to listen, like you said, what lights you up and what definitely doesn't. <laughs> well, and that's the shift away from the industrialist. The industri industrialist would say, okay, here's the five steps to have a happier life. Stop mowing your lawn, get your groceries. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, but wait, I don't think that way. Like I'm different. So then you think that that system doesn't work for you, or you think that somehow you're bad because that system's supposed to work for you. But the reality is we want a menu-based system where we can learn the best optimization for ourselves. Um, and that's what I love about, you know, putting together this book is being able to say, here's what's worked for me. Here's some options for you to use the neuroscience to get more done, to also slow down. Uh, and then you actually can do the work that you enjoy doing in the world. Yeah. And we've been talking about how the four, four day work week can work or does work. Something you, you said, or you, put in your book as well, your hustle narrative. And I think we've been touching it, but talk to us about that. Cause I, I love that, that phrase. Yeah. I think the hustle culture, uh, hashtag hustle bros or whatever is so ridiculous. Um, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk, I think in some ways has done some great things, but I think he's really perpetuated this like work, 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 work. And this is like, why we you hang are, out. This is why we get on because yeah, I, I like Gary V some of his stuff, but you know, exactly that. I saw him speak yeah. once and he, he literally started his talk with, Hey, if you want this, and he goes, and he, he put it out there. He just went, I haven't had a Saturday off since I was 14. And yeah. I was just like, I appreciate what you're doing, but it's not for me. <laughs> like that. Right. Well, and that's, that's the thing is people wear like a badge of honor. Like that makes me sad that someone that's that successful has so much ego stuck inside of what he's doing. And I don't know him, so I, I may yeah. be judging him in a way that is unfair to him. No. But to say as a bragging thing, I haven't had a Saturday off since I was 14, and that that's your selling point, that you yeah. need to work harder and harder and harder, I disagree with that. I think mm -hmm. that there's a certain point when the amount that you're working, you're putting out worse and worse content. And so we're actually seeing that when you take that time off, you're more creative. Your brain can talk to different parts of the brain. Um, we have this default mode network of how the brain over time really starts to get into these individual roads. And so if you think about like a tree as an example, over time, you might prune the tree and, and different things. When you're a little kid, your brain is just exploding. Uh, it doesn't know up from down. It's figuring everything out. There's actually been research studies that looked at a kid around the age of three, their brain compared to someone that's on LSD. And it's 
almost identical. So when like a kid isn't putting on their shoes and they're just sniffing the flowers, like for me, when I read that, it was when my kid was about three, I had a lot more empathy. It's like, I'm dealing with someone that is tripping balls right now. And so just, just relax. Okay. Like just put your shoes on, then we'll go smell the flowers. Then you can taste the universe. Like, so when you're little, your brain is all like, all over the place. But then over time, it starts to say, oh, these things are important. These things are important. So it, it trims it, it trims it. And then different parts of the brain can't talk to one another as easily as when we're younger. And so what happens when we slow down, when we you know, meditate and do these things is our brain starts to be able to talk to other parts of the brain in a way that's different. Um, and that's when we feel flow state. That's because different parts of our brain are talking and clicking along in a way that it doesn't normally do. I know when you came on a few years back, whole elf around impactful books and different things, but I, I am curious to see, you know, and I'll compare it to your original interview. Is there a quote that really sums up your approach to life? Yeah. So I'm not going to do the exact quote of Michael Singer, but Michael Singer has the book, The Untethered Soul. And his concept is that, you know, we are not our bodies, you know, because if you lost part of your body, like you'd still be you. Uh, we're not our emotions. Those change all the time. We're not our history because that history is always changing. And so our truest self is our awareness. Uh, we've been aware that we're aware since we were little. Um, and that idea of at my deepest core, I am awareness. Um, it just makes it so much easier when tough things come to allow it to be present and say, yeah, I'm feeling this really tough emotion right now. I'm really sad. I'm really hurt. Um, and that isn't me. That's moving through me. That's an energy that's tough that I don't like, but I'm not going to attach or run away from that. I'm going to allow it to move through me. I'm going to feel it and then I'm going to let it go. Um, and so Michael Singer's work for me during this phase of my life has been so just helpful for, for grounding me as I go through difficult times. Uh, I'm an unexpected single dad. Um, so a lot of stuff has shifted in my life. And so Michael Singer's work has just been so helpful to be able to just enter into that and say, I want to be the best person I can be and also not attach to the pain that I'm going through and allow it to just move through my body. Yeah. And you mentioned The Untethered Soul. Is that the book or one of the books that's been impactful for you in the last few years? Because not, not in your full lifetime, because we've already got your most impactful yeah. book from the last interview. But in the last few years, I wonder, is, is there a book outside of your own one that's really been impactful for you? Yeah, I'd say The Untethered Soul and then also the book Awareness. Um, those are two books that um, I've been less and less interested in kind of business achiever books. Those are needed. Like, oh, yeah. it's great for strategy. I'm going to blow your horn here, but you've achieved well in business. So I, it makes complete sense that these sort of books are now more attractive to you. Because you you've, you've done the hard yards in that. And now, you know, this is like the phase of your life. Really. And I think that's such a common story that it's like, you know, people want to get to a certain place in business and then they do the self-development work. I actually think if I had read these books years ago, I would have done better work within the business I was creating and probably deeper work and uh, less ego-driven work. Um, and I think it would have actually helped me propel faster forward um, because it would have been coming from more of a place of grounding. Not that I was ungrounded. I think I've always been a person that values self-discovery and, you know, going through a whole counseling program, you do a lot of that kind of personal reflection of your own pain and hurt and where things come from. But uh, man, I just feel like the way that I can speak to people and the boundaries that I can set and um, just what I can do, it feels so much more grounded in who I am and not wanting to cause additional pain in the world while also saying that there's certain clear boundaries that I need to set as well. Yeah. And having gone through the bulk of the interview now twice as well from your network, from people who have interviewed you, who would you recommend for the Awaken Your Alpha show for one of my next interviews? 
Yeah, I would say Dr. Jeremy Sharp from the Testing Psychologist podcast. Uh, so he's someone that I talk about in the book. Uh, he has a he's a doctoral level psychologist, has a huge practice in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, but then he also has a podcast and does consulting. Uh, but he lives out the sprint types that I talk about in the book. And I just feel like he's a guy that um, he values family, he values running, he values like all those different domains that you talk about in awakening your alpha. Um, that it's not just about business for him. It's you know grounded in so many different areas. Awesome. And if people want to continue the conversation, what is the best way to follow up with you? Yeah, over at joesanok.com, uh, we have a whole section about experiments. And so these experiments are people submitting their four-day work week experiments to say, here's what worked, here's what didn't work. We recognize that um, just like how the industrialists, they gave us a certain model that if we want to create a new model together, we need to learn from each other. And so people are uh, putting their experiments in over at joesanok.com. And just in closing, is there anything else you feel like you want to get off your chest when it comes to the Thursdays, the new Friday that you didn't get an opportunity to say, or you just feel like actually that needs to be said? I mean, I, I would just close with that. Again, we have this window of opportunity post 2020 pandemic. Uh, we get to be this generation that says, we are not going to work this way anymore. We are the adults now. Um, we may not feel like it, but we're the adults. We get to decide. We get to rise up and say, we aren't going to take this anymore. And so if we say, we don't believe the industrialists, uh, we don't think of people like robots. We don't think about people as machines anymore. We don't think that there's just one way to do everything. Um, we understand diversity and change and experimentation. And so together we can rise up and we can make the four day work week a reality within our generation. Uh, and Thursday is the new Friday is just part of that conversation. This isn't me as the leader. This is me as a contributor. Um, this is all of our movement. Um, and really when we see it as a movement where we're pushing back and we're saying, we do not need to work this way. Just imagine the creativity that's going to come out of this. Imagine the time with families or with friends or to explore things um, that are just new and different. I think it's going to be better for our society, our creativity and our productivity. Joe, I love it. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much, Adam. No worries. I'll see you on the paddleboard soon. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> the Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can do that. So head over to talkxcelerator.com forward slash masterclass and you can get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker and thought leader without desperately chasing and wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. All right, have a great week. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back.